the Lord has spoken with me about the coming of the Messiah. And in that conversation about the coming of the Messiah, there is a certain instruction that the Lord is dispensing to the church. And I will give just one little segment of that conversation, one piece of that conversation. For example, in one of the visions, the Lord does show me a dark, thick dark sky, pitch darkness. And then, as I'm focused onto the pitch darkness, the sky rolls away, recedes. By the way, when the Bible says the sky receded, it's tremendous. It rolls away, rolls away. Heaven opens into the dark sky. The sky recedes. And the glory of the Lord begins to come out in clusters, not at once, in clusters from heaven into the thick dark sky. And I saw the, a very powerful phenomenon in which the glory of the Lord was beginning to illuminate the sky, chasing away the darkness, which has a lot of symbolism right now in this visitation of this hour. However, the climax of that uh, vision was this. When finally the Lord lost two golden glorious wedding rings, and he brings them and places them right at the entrance to heaven that was opened. And in fact, the way he placed them was like that. They were horizontal. So at one point I thought, the Lord is writing figure 8 using gold. So this figure 8, because it was, they were horizontal. Very identical wedding rings. Very similar. And then the Lord began to flip them in opposite directions. To allow me to see the design and so forth. The Lord that I saw, so that I may bring to the church. And then, at that time, the voice of the Lord speaks from heaven, from the opening from heaven. And the voice says, from today on, all authority in heaven and authority on the earth has been given to Christ Jesus. Now that was so powerful in that vision. Then I began to understand. I said, wow, these wedding rings actually represent the authority of Christ. Now I had information in that vision. That these rings, they bespeak the authority of the Messiah. So the tilting goes on again. Silence consumes the sky. And then the voice speaks finally and says, Look and see who is seated on the white horse. And I remember when I looked at the threshold of the two wedding rings, just inside heaven, slightly inside heaven, then I saw the mighty, most powerful, white, glorious horse of Jehovah. And when I looked at the horse, I did not understand the message in that vision. When I just looked at the horse, big horse, not a normal horse. I remember when I looked at the horse, he is not the horse as you know him, as you know a horse. Huge and sturdy, very, very stout. I did not get the message then until I saw the demeanor of the horse, the behavior, the conduct he displayed. That's when I understood the message the Lord wanted me to pick from there. I saw the white, mighty, glorious horse of God from heaven lifting his front legs like this. And lifting both legs as if trying to stand on two hind legs. And stepping down again. And in English they call it the neighing of the horse when the horse cries. I could hear. I heard him cry. At the same time, wagging his tail like this, wagging the tail, very, very fast, violently. That is when I understood the message the Lord was trying to dispense, was conveying to the church. 
the message was giving me to take to the church. Why? Because it made me understand that the Lord was saying, look, the quiet, glorious horse of heaven is about to be released. So, he placed in there two very important aspects in that vision. You see the first aspect on quality, quality, this powerful, golden, glorious wedding rings. Powerful, speak about quality, well purified. And on this other side, he now talks about time. So I understood the two aspects that were coming through. So I began to go out to the nations and announce that I have seen, I have seen the two golden glorious wedding rings from heaven. The Lord has shown them to me and he placed them at the entrance of heaven. Heaven is open now and he has placed them there and they are so pure, they are so powerful. And one other thing I want to raise here is, when he showed me the two wedding rings, he also made me know that in their design, you could see that he was showing me the design by doing that, you know, tilting them in the opposite direction. But you could see clearly that he spoke to me and he said that, look, when the Lord speaks within vision, there are things he puts in your heart to make you understand, for those who are in this area, to make you understand that in this way he said, look, these two wedding rings, look at their design. Their design is antique. Even if you went all over the earth now, you cannot find them. That's the message he left in my heart. That they are of old. It's like a treasure, an old treasure. Let's say, for those of you who have grandparents, you say, Yo, my grandfather gave me this ring. You see, I'm using it for my wedding to whatever. That kind of ring that you know you cannot find elsewhere. So he made me know that they were very antique, they were very old, and even if I went all over the earth, I would never find them. And then, equally too, is now the fact that as he flipped the wedding rings, the surface, I thought from where the Lord had put me and lifted me up, I thought those were droplets of rain. Only later I found out that those were fine dust-like particles of gold that were used to finish the surface. He made me know that if I touched, I would feel traction. So he really gave me the full detail of the wedding rings. However now, when I went out to bring this message to the nations, what is the message? What was the Lord saying here to the church? And because of the condition of the church, I am always compelled to get back to the basics. I'm talking about the condition of the church right now as we speak. And part of the basics that normally I must clearly highlight, bring out, is this. I always said that, look, every time the Lord Jehovah speaks, because people would ask, how do we know that the Lord has spoken? Considering what's happening in the church, the confusion. However, every time the Lord Jehovah speaks, number one, you and I must find it in the Bible. So you see that I've always gone around to present this before I give the revelation of the vision. Why? Because you want people to be on the same page and also to annul the confusion, to remove the confusion that they may receive, prepare them to receive the revelation. The instruction from this vision. So, every time the Lord speaks, the church, you and I, must find that that conversation lines up with Scripture. In fact, the word is the balance, the skill. That when someone says the Lord has spoken, you take, the word is on this side, you put on this side of the scale, should balance. And I've always said that, in that way, when one traces 
that conversation, vision or dream, whatever it is, or by voice, that the Lord has spoken to the Bible and aligns it with Scripture, therein is the message. Therein you get the message. So that has been a basic principle I've taught across the globe before giving this instruction. However, the second point is this too. That every time the Lord speaks, He must always centralize the holiness of God in the church. I'm beginning now to open up. In fact, almost to make you understand what this conversation is going to be about. He said that every time the Lord Jehovah speaks, that conversation, when you listen to it, you always hear the Lord highlighting the holiness of Jehovah. In other words, saying, holy, holy, holy. Be holy, for I am holy. And that too applies with prophecy that I see people fooling around with, you know, false prophecy left and right. People say, bless me. Or the Lord sent him to bless me. In other words, if the Lord is going to come and bless you, that blessing has to draw you closer to the Lord. Then you know it's from the Lord. To the extent that if that blessing does not draw you closer to the Lord, forget it. You know where that's from. That's not from the Lord. What am I trying to say here? I'm saying the number two, the point number two here becomes, before I give the revelation, becomes this. Becomes the fact that whenever the Lord speaks, He must center holiness. If you listen very carefully, you'll find that that conversation gravitates around the holiness of Jehovah. In other words, even blessing. If somebody came and said, the Lord told me, He's going to bless you. That blessing must draw you closer. How? By enhancing the holiness of the Lord in your life. That's how you know that the Lord has spoken. And these are very important points before I give the revelation. Why? Because there's so much confusion in the church today. It's as though the Christian body, the body of Christ, the congregation today, the church, is looking for a way of getting away with holiness to take some goodies, some gains on this other side. And that's why I have to bring this to prepare the ground. Then you'll understand the revelation. Then you'll understand why the Lord speaks the way He's speaking now. And so the third point before I give the revelation is always this. That every time the Lord speaks, even in the Old Testament, if you listen very carefully, you'll always hear the Lord saying, Look, 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 the coming Messiah. You'll always see the Lord pointing, or hear Him pointing at the coming Messiah. For example, when the Lord sent Moses to deliver the house of Jacob through the wilderness, Releasing manna from heaven. That was the prefiguring, the symbolism of the true bread of life. That is our Lord Jesus. That he was to send, he would send from heaven to a hungry church, to a hungry nation, to a hungry people, to humanity. So in every conversation, even in the Old Testament, you must always hear the Lord pointing at the coming Messiah. Even in the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 21 verses 4 and 9, where he tells Moses to take the bronze snake and put on the wood. That whosoever is beaten by the snake, if they would focus on this snake on the wood, they would not perish but live. 
And then now when you go to John chapter 3, from beginning verse 14 on, you hear the Lord himself saying, Just as Moses did hang the snake on the wood, so shall the Son of Man be hung. That whosoever will focus on him, will receive him, believe in him, will not perish but have eternal life. So, in whichever way, whenever the Lord speaks, you must always hear the center. The Lord centralizes, look, the Messiah. Look, the coming Messiah. Coming Messiah. Why? That you may prepare. And I would like to give a last point, if you don't mind. The last point before I give the revelation on this conversation to the church. And these are very important points because you can almost see right away where the rain started beating the church from. That she's not weighed any word given by who and who as prophet or apostle with the word. That she's not even considered that in this conversation, is this a conversation that is dispensing holiness? How do you say you're a prophet here? And you're the prophet of the nation? And you're helping our nation? You're speaking into the nation? When you have let the church run into sin, the church swim, swim in this muddy river of immorality, but God is holy. That's all I'm talking about here. That if God is going to speak to his prophet, it's going to be a holy conversation. It's going to be about holiness. There's another point here though. That every time the Lord speaks, when you listen very carefully, you'll always hear, separation, separation, separation. All the time, separation. Even Israel, he separated. He told them, don't mix with them. Don't mix with them. Same thing with the church. Don't mix with them. Behold, you are chosen people. And then the other point I would like to put in there is that, you know, many times you'll hear the Lord say, learn to stand alone, even in the church. Learn to stand alone. And I think there's a lot of compromise that goes on in the Caribbean, in Europe, in the United States, in Canada, all the way down to Australia, that goes on because of this putrefied, this very defiled way of seeking acceptance. Oh, I am loved. The mayor loves me. The government loves me. Hmm? And so, there are many other points I would want to bring in there, but for the sake of time, I would like to get into the revelation. And I think this really provides a wonderful foundation for the people to be able now to understand what I'm going to say, the revelation I'm going to bring in, in order that they may now understand why the Lord is going to speak the way He speaks. Having given the basic foundation that indeed helps us to understand the revelation, the message the Lord is conveying from the vision of the two glorious golden wedding rings in the sky, then I think this is the prime time at which now to bring forth the message. Now, we see very clearly that in order to understand what the Lord is saying about the two wedding rings in the sky, it's absolutely imperative that we focus a little bit on the events right after the Messiah had resurrected. We remember so well, even as the Bible has written, that the Lord came, took his disciples after resurrection, and he walked with them next to the eastern gate of Jerusalem, and at that place, the eastern gate, facing the Mount of Olives, 
he went up with them. And when he went up with his disciples up the Mount of Olives, they crossed over onto the eastern slopes of the Mount of Olives. And it was at that place of the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives that the Lord blessed them. And after he blessed them, again, he lifted his hands up to bless them. And after he blessed them, a cloud appeared and lifted him above the earth and took him and covered him into heaven. And we remember too well that the disciples remained startled, puzzled, shocked, anxious, in fear. They were in a state of distress because the Messiah, the Christ, their father, their teacher, their defender, having resurrected and come to them again, all of a sudden taken away from them. They remained more like orphans. It was at that point when two appeared and spoke with them dressed in white. Two appeared dressed in white and spoke with them and asked, Men of Galilee, why do you look so intently like this? In other words, why so anxious? Why are you in so much fear like this? Know ye not, don't you know, that this same Jesus, who has been taken away from you, will come back in like manner? So the Bible indeed promises that the Messiah would come back. However, when you read the Bible, you'll find the two comings back. There is one that you find in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 7, when he says, Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. And he says, so shall it be. Amen. That is one coming back of the Messiah. And in this one we see that when he comes, all people will see him. They would see him. Including those that pierced him. Meaning the enemies of God. Yet there is another one. Revelation 16.15 And in Revelation 16.15 You hear the Lord say, He says, Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with himself, that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. So that's another coming of the Messiah. The one I read first in Revelation chapter 1 verse 7, he says, all eyes would see him coming. However, on this one here, he says, like a thief, meaning only a few, only a section would see him. And in this one too, he talks about a certain level of preparedness and the shame that would behold. So, my question then becomes this. Which of the two comings of the Messiah does this vision of the two golden glorious wedding rings announce? 
when the Lord on that November 1st, 2006, at 3 a.m. in the morning, showed me this tremendous, glorious vision of the mighty, powerful, golden wedding rings, and he spoke from heaven, the Lord was essentially talking about the coming of the Messiah at the midnight hour like a thief. Some people have called it the kidnapping of the church. Others yet have called it the rapture of the church. Sometimes it is also simply called the coming of the Lord, the coming of the Messiah. However, the Bible calls it the day of the wedding of the Lamb of God. And that is the message I would like to share with your viewers. The message of the mighty, mighty, glorious, the tremendous vision of the two glorious golden wedding rings in the sky. And like I said, in order for us to well perceive the message the Lord is relaying to the church, it's important to line up this vision with scripture. And when one turns to Revelation chapter 19, the scripture that celebrates the day of the wedding of the Lamb of God, therein is the message to the church. Revelation 19 and I'm reading verses 6 to verse 9. Revelation 19. This is what he says. Verses 6 to 9. He says this. This is the scripture that celebrates, that highlights the day of the wedding of the Lamb of God. And he says this from verse 6. He says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Verse 7 says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. He goes on to say, Fine linen, Bright and clean was given her to wear. And then he says, Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Verse 9. Then the angel said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited into the wedding supper, wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. So what is the message that the Lord is bringing out to the church of Christ globally when he presents those two mighty, tremendous, golden, glorious wedding rings in the sky? In this scripture we see very clearly that the manner of narrative, the narrative the Lord gives regarding the day of the wedding of the Lamb presents the following. It is as though the Lord says that when that day of rapture, when that day of the wedding of the Lamb of God arrives, then a historic celebration, historic jubilation,
joy unspeakable consumes heaven. And when one looks at the way heaven celebrates that day, then you are left with no choice but to begin to conclude that this for sure must be the most important day in the history of heaven. That is very powerful. The manner in which, say, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the day of the wedding has arrived. And he says, like thunder, like roars of rushing water, like loud peals of everything. So listen to this. The Lord is underscoring here that in the calendar of the events in heaven, the day of the wedding of the Lamb of God stands out as the most significant day in the kingdom of God. Why? Why would that be so? Listen to this. That is so because of the following. Because in the subsequent scripture, after the huge celebration, I mean during the huge celebration, when you listen very carefully to what is being said in that loud pills, celebration like loud pills of thunder, tremendous roar of waters, when you listen carefully to what is being said in that joy unspeakable, you hear them saying in heaven as they celebrate, that look, wow, indeed, because of this, for our Lord God Almighty, He reigns. The way the Holy Spirit describes that day of the wedding of the Lamb makes you understand that He is sort of saying that when that day arrives, it is as though that is the day that actually affirms the reign of God. Oh. How can that be possible? That when that day arrives, then indeed God reigns. Why would that be the case? Listen to this. Because Christ the Messiah, he left his glory in the kingdom of God. The original glory with the Father. And he shed it, he abandoned it for the sake of humanity. And when he did such a historic act, he came down here, the king of glory himself, and walked our dusty, muddy roads, and was abused by the very ones he came to redeem. Tremendously abused and defied. He was missing in heaven. He wasn't there. He was here. Heaven missed him. His seat was absent. His seat was there. It was empty. And as he was down here, travailing and toiling for the deliverance of man, what does he meet? Abuses, slander, ridicule, mockery, everything called abuse under the sun, was levied on him. To the extent that there was no law to protect the Messiah. Today, there are laws that protect dogs. You must treat them humanely. But then, the Messiah was abused less than a dog to deliver you and I. 
He paid a horrendous price. When you follow it so closely, you find a place in the Garden of Gethsemane where he was sweating like blood drops. After paying all that price, tortured, injured, bruised. Listen to this. The perfect Lamb of God without defect, without deformity, without error, without mistake. Without sin. When he appeared, like a tender shoot, no hotel room, no motel, no hostel was available. Right in the manger, the maggie. They appeared. Having gone through that episode and presented gold before him. Pure gold. And worshipped him. Why? Because in presenting gold at that worship, they were essentially saying, Look, you have come. You are purified. You are pure. Your life is in purity like this pure gold. You are being purified like this pure gold. And then they presented bitter And in that way, they worshipped and said, However, that life of purity that you bring, will give you a lot of bitterness in this world. This dark world hates purity, does not like purity, does not accept it. Essentially, that's what they said. And then, they continue to worship by placing frankincense, a fragrance, before him. In other words, saying that nonetheless, that life of purity that you now bring to this earth, to this world, to humanity, will afflict you, will inflict pain, bitterness in you because of this dark world. But at the height of that bitterness, owing to that purity, on the cross, your life will emit a tremendous fragrance unto our Father in Heaven. And that fragrance will be historic to the extent that it will atone for the sins of all men, even unborn. So you begin to understand why the historic celebration, felicitation, jubilation consumes Heaven when that day of the wedding of the Lamb arrives. In other words, the Lord is saying in this mighty vision, He's saying that in the calendar of heaven, the day of the wedding of the Lamb of God is the most important day in heaven. But why? Why? And why would they say it is the day that actually confirms, stamps, affirms the reign of God. Because ever since the Messiah went to the Calvary cross, on the cross, and was tortured, abused, 
slander. They even spat on his face. I know today if someone spits on your face, you would never ever forget that day for all your life combined. But, listen to me. Ever since the Messiah went to the cross, finished the job, and was raptured in that cloud, seated on the right hand side of the Father, until this day, heaven has been waiting, asking, and saying that look, the price of the cross we saw. The perfect job that the Messiah did on the cross, that too we saw. However, where is the fruit of the cross? Where is the fruit of that work? And that's why I want to bring to your understanding the gravity of that day. Because the day of the wedding of the Lamb of God essentially marks that day of rapture essentially marks the day when the church of Christ that was delivered by the works of the cross finally enters the kingdom of God. The day when she finally makes her debut in heaven. Heaven having waited for such a very long time to see her there. And I think this is even much more underscored by the following. By the fact that when you look at the church today, you would almost think that the church is crying out for a second Calvary. When you look at the church today, you'll find that the church of Christ is essentially yelling out to Jehovah, saying, Lord, Lord, Look, we are seated in the church and virtually undelivered. The same immorality that was plaguing us in the world is still plaguing us here. The same lies we spoke in the world, we still speak in here. The same pornography, the same abortions, the same love of money, everything lies. It is as though the church today is busy crying out to the Lord. When I look at the church, I can only hear the church cry out to the Lord. Say, Lord, look, the first Calvary was not sufficient. Look, we are here and we are not delivered. I am trying to bring to you the gravity of the day of the wedding of the Lamb of God. And the Lord is using this mighty vision to speak the following. He's saying, that there will not be a second Calvary. You will not be there. In other words, if you are going to prepare for this day, I'm talking about those who belong to the kingdom of God. If you indeed belong to the kingdom of God, he says, in the manner of their celebration, you could almost pick out that this is the most significant day. So the Lord is using this vision to the first point. The first revelation is this. To ask the following question. Do you belong to the kingdom of heaven? And if you do. Does the significance. The gravity of this day. The coming of the Messiah. The day of rapture. Day of the wedding of the Lamb. Does it also 
gravitate into your heart as the most significant day in your life. And if it does, then there is an instruction in that scripture. There is an instruction that the Lord laid down in that scripture. Because it says, even in the vision you could see the manner in which heaven opens and the glory comes. And you can see that that glory was essential to prepare that way. Beginning to illuminate the sky. To bring light into the dark world. Illuminating. Light up the sky. Meaning the dispensation of open heaven would appear right before that day. The dispensation of the latter glory. The latter glory that will come and give light. Illuminate the dark inner chambers of the house of the Lord. Give them light again. Rekindle. The lamps. And he's saying the following. He's saying that if that day is important to the church of Christ too, then she too would have to take the demeanor that the Lord presented in that vision. When he presents the rings and he does that. At the entrance, meaning, hey, don't worry about the human philosophy. Hey, Church of Christ, I can see you delving yourself into human theology, schools of thought. Do you believe in the pre-tribulation or the mid-tribulation or the post-tribulation? He hears that. He says, hey, I hear you. But for now, listen to me. It does not matter what philosophy, what school of thought, but what matters is this. I have placed the two golden glorious wedding rings at the entrance to heaven. In other words, announcing that, hey, don't worry about philosophy. You just enter through this wedding. You just enter through this wedding. Don't worry about post-tribulation meet. Don't worry. You just enter. Only through this wedding you enter. Don't worry what happens after then. Number two, the Lord is equally saying that when that day arrives, the two wedding rings, very identical, mirror images of one another. You put a mirror here, you see the other one. He said, Church of Christ, behold, the wedding rings are now in the sky. And every time there is going to be a wedding, and the rings, the wedding rings, have been prepared. He talks about this. That means the preparations for that wedding have been finalized. And you could almost tell it in the manner in which the Lord, the manner of presentation, presenting the wedding rings. As in look, the long awaited. Now look what I have achieved. Look what I have until now achieved. Look now, look what I have now. Meaning, look, they are ready now. Look, the long awaited is now ready. And I think that is so powerful because it speaks about the following. It speaks about the sense of accomplishment that the Father feels. Because the Bible says in the book of Matthew 24, 36, all the way down, it says, Nobody knows the day or the hour. Not even the Messiah. 
to the angels. Only God the Father. And so, for the wedding rings to be placed at the entrance to heaven and bespeak preparedness, time, heaven is ready. That can only talk about a conversation between God the Father and the Church of Christ. In other words, be ready now. Any moment now. But let's move on now. There is even a greater instruction that comes out of this vision. What is the Lord saying? The Lord is saying that the felicitation, the joy, the tremendous uh, jubilation we see is the symbolism of the revival that accompanies the coming of this day. And look at this now. In the way the Holy Spirit describes the unveiling of that day, you see the Holy Spirit say, for now he reigns. And yet, when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 to 56, still talking about the day of the wedding, the day of rapture, then this is what you see. In that description in 1 Corinthians 15, you hear the Holy Spirit say, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpets must sound. And then he goes on to say, the perishable must be clothed with the imperishable. The mortal with immortality. And he said, the corruptible with incorruptibility. You see very clearly that the Lord is using this vision to emphasize to the church, to fine-tune the church, to tell them, you cannot abuse the grace. I hear you crying for a second deliverance, but just that you may know, he will not come to go back the cross. He will not come to be abused. This time around, he's coming with a crown. He's crowned with many crowns. <laughs> At the same time, he says that the only way heaven looks at the church and gets to know that she too is ready and then blast the celebration is when heaven looks at the church and finds that the day of the wedding has arrived and when you look at the church, she too is now adorned, guarded with fine linen, bright and clean. She too, when the day arrives, she's dressed in fine linen, bright and clean. And he says, fine linen stands for the righteousness of the church. In other words, by presenting the two mighty golden glorious wedding rings in the sky, the Lord was essentially announcing making this huge global announcement to the church by saying that, look, heaven is prepared. However, you do have a responsibility. And your responsibility is the garment. In other words, when the wedding rings are ready, the garment too should be ready. There's not much time then to prepare. Should be ready. And in the way of his presentation, showing the wedding rings, the finishing, the inside gold, which was yellowish gold with rays like, you know, and all that. Showing it like that. Expressing his sense of accomplishment. One can only imagine 
the carrot. How many carrot is that called? I don't know. We can never fathom in this lifetime. How pure that gold is. The Lord was essentially saying, look, he is looking for the golden church. The golden church. The church that is gold worthy enough to wear the wedding ring. And as far as I understand, when you read Zechariah, the book of Zechariah chapter 13 verses 7 and 9, he talks about, and I will take one third the remnant. That remnant I'll pass through fire. The remnant, one third is already remnant. Pass through fire. And that one third, after passing through fire, he says, then I'll refine them like, test them, refine them like silver, test them like gold. Which means the remnant of the remnant. He's talking about the remnant of the remnant. And the Lord is saying, that the purity of the gold that adorns the entrance to heaven right now deserves a pure church, a church in purity. And he's saying that the responsibility of the church as of now is the garment. And yet that garment was purchased in Isaiah 53. We see the price, the horrendous price that Jesus paid on the cross to purchase the garment. And at that time, he gives you. You receive the Lord, and he gives you a garment gratis. He gives you a garment that is finest linen, bright and clean. Not even a spot, a stain, a wrinkle. Then now, based on all that I've said, based on the above, the Lord is essentially asking the church one question. Ever since you received the Lord, ever since you became born again, have you sustained, have you maintained your garments as fine linen, bright and clean? In other words, he's saying that to the pulpit, this is the hour to preach the garment. And to the congregation, he's announcing this. He's saying, Church of Christ, are you aware that this is the dispensation of the garment. In other words, the Lord is saying, the body of Christ, how come you do not know, how know ye not, that you are the church of the garment, that you are the generation of the garment of the Lord. Oh, what a blessed generation. The prophets of old, when they saw this time, they wept. This, oh, how I wish I could live to see that dispensation, that generation. The generation that prepares the garment of Jehovah. The generation that prepares to receive the Lord, the Messiah. The historic generation. And the Lord is saying this. That that finest linen, in the Spanish they say, lino fino, fine linen. But Portuguese says, lino finissimo, meaning the finest ever linen. The Bible says that finest linen is the righteousness of the church. In other words, by placing the two golden, glorious, mighty wedding rings in the sky, the Lord was essentially announcing to the church and unto the nations that, look, this is the hour for righteousness in the church. And we know it too well that this message 
could not have come at another time, at a better time. Because right now, what lacks most in the church is righteousness. However, when you look very carefully at the way the Lord has carried this message across the earth, you'll find that into whichever nation he navigates me to, whichever nation he takes me to, he would always show me the stains on the garment. What it is that's on the garment that needs to be purged out before that day before us. And that's why I was saying in the beginning, at first I wondered why he kept showing me only what is wrong in the church. Now we understand better. He's only been pointing out these spots that we may purge them off, clean them off. And I would like to share some few stains that universally now appear, mark, in other words, spot the garment of the church today. The first most difficult stain that is disturbing the church on this day, that really litters the garment, the glorious garment of the church, is called the gospel of prosperity. The gospel of prosperity, the gospel that came from the devil, the devil supplanted it into the church. The gospel that ignores holiness and says you can bribe God, you can trade off, you can pay this and get away with holiness. Very much aware, the devil was very much aware that the Bible says in Hebrews 12, 14, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. And then he says, for without holiness, nobody will ever see the Lord. Very much aware of that. Then the devil brought this gospel that lacks holiness right into the church. Knowing that if they subscribe to it, they have gone to hell. And that's why the first stain that the Lord has shown me that's on the garment of the church is called the gospel of prosperity. The gospel that compromises the cross for the world. The gospel that says, look, we are a modern people. Behold, for there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can do anything and get away with it. The gospel that says, hey, don't worry. The blood of Jesus is flowing. There is so much grace. The gospel that abuses the glorious grace of our Lord Jesus. That gospel, the effects of that gospel were long for sin. And that's why the Lord wrote in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 to 6, warning about the repercussions of the works of that dirty gospel in the church. The evil gospel, the gospel of prosperity, the gospel that says you can pay some money here and buy a miracle. The gospel that says if you need the anointing like I have, all you need to do, buy these two bottles here. Each one of them is about $7,000. You need all $5,000. You need two for double portion or $500, whichever the market price. The gospel of decay, 
The gospel that has no deliverance power. Delivering power. The gospel that cannot rebuke sin. The gospel that says, it's alright. The Lord does not look at your dressing. He only looks at your heart. Hebrews chapter 6, 4 to 6. The stern warning that the Lord laid on the church. Owing to the gospel of prosperity. The gospel of yeast. The gospel of decay. The gospel of el mundo. The world. The gospel of the flesh. Hebrews 6, 4 to 6 he says. It is impossible. If I wear you and I meet the word impossible, I just underline it. I would highlight it. Because when the Bible says something, that thing shall come to pass. It says, it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away to be brought back to repentance because they are lost, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace, public shame. Who is this? This is the church of Christ. The church that has even received the Holy Spirit. The church that even aware of the heavenly gifts and aware of the powers of the coming age. Having seen all that power. Having seen that power which actually is a foreshadowing of the powers of the coming age. It simply talks about what is coming. The reign of the Messiah. The reign when there will be no disease. The reign when there will be no oppression. The reign when there will be no depression. You know. The reign when God shall be in charge. He's saying, having seen that, and then you backslide. Ah! You say you are born again. People know you as born again. In a world that is suffering so much looking for solution. And then you that is known to be born again, all of a sudden they see you in immorality. It makes even the Muslims and Hindus say, Ah, that God I cannot take. That God is up and down. Today he's born again holy. Tomorrow he's with women. The next day he's with men. The other day, huh? The Lord is using this to say that every time we are born again, we become the mirror image of Christ. The testimony of Christ. So, it matters a lot what we do in the open public place because that is the evangelism of Christ. And he's saying, based on what the church is doing today, she is spoiling for Christ. Because she is busy selling oil on TV and selling prayer shawls on TV. She's selling books on TVs and CDs on TV. Magazines, she's selling on TV. Conferences, she's selling. Registration, $500, $600. And when you go there, this guy comes in, he tells you, uh, a private jet, I, I remember my first seed, it was a painful seed, I paid it, and somebody appeared with a key like this. Private jet. That's what you listen to in those conferences. Nothing to do with the kingdom of God. So, when the Lord presented this tremendous vision of the most purified golden glorious wedding rings the message was so powerful and a clarion call to the church he was essentially saying that this is the hour for purity this is the hour to purge 
the dross from the garment. In other words, he's saying, if you are to make it into the kingdom of God, you have to address the stains of the garment of the church as at now. Shalom. If you know that this message has touched you, and you know that you are not right with the Lord, please, repeat this prayer with me. Say, dear Jesus, I repent today and reject sin. Lead me into righteousness. I receive you as Lord and Savior. Please protect me in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. <laughs>